welcome to her Head in the Box podcast. Join our hosts Lisa and Monica as they share a bottle of wine and discuss women in film. One, two. One. Red. Black. Go. Yay! Hello, welcome to the podcast. I'm Lisa. I'm Monica. And today we have a very special guest. He is the one and only narrator of this podcast, Sean Gallagher! Hello! For this episode, we will be celebrating the one-year film release of one of our favorite movies of all time, the apocalyptic action film... Mad Max Fury Road. Yep, that's right. Starring Charlize Theron and Thomas Hardy. Thomas. Thomas. Let's be formal. Thomas. Thomas. Yeah. Sir Thomas? Thomas? No, he's not Sir, Sir Thomas. Thomas. I think so. Aw, leave me alone. Not yet. You guys not are already yet. getting it. <laughs> that's why we're here. That's right. So yeah, uh, the wine that we paired this evening with is called the Wild Ride, and it is... A blend. It's from Barossa Valley, which is in Australia, which is why we chose it. From 2012. It even says good day, mates, on the back of it, so you know it's legit. <laughs> well, let's sample let's this. Let's taste it, yeah. It was uh, a little more expensive than we usually, uh, we usually get $10 bottle of wine girls. This was $20. So besides celebrating the one-year anniversary of this film, well, we asked you to be on, not only because we love your voice and, you know, we wanted you to be a part of the... The full Sean. The, yeah. <laughs> full on Sean. <laughs> the Sean experience, yeah. Yes. All right. Uh, we had to uh, meet our mail quota. Of one. <laughs> of one. That's it. That's all we have to do. For no more ones. men for me. This is us reaching the male audience. Just it's a, a big responsibility, Sean. Oh, I am happy to represent writing. an entire gender. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we had to have a, a dangler on the show to represent. A dangler. You should say um, it in an Australian accent. A dangler. <laughs> that's not Australian accent. I don't know what that is. I don't is. know what that is. Looks like I got myself some gasoline, eh? <laughs> <laughs> So we asked you to be a guest host because the film has a reputation for being feminist and that when it came out, there was some backlash from, I'm using air quotes, men's right activists who (laughs) felt that uh, despite the fact that it was written and directed by men, they were tricked into watching a movie with a feminist agenda. Uh, Sean, do you feel that you were duped? into watching this movie. How many times have you seen it now? Seven? <laughs> <laughs> to me, it was kind of an homage to what I used to do when I was a lot younger, uh, when Gladiator came out and The Matrix came out, where I'd see a movie and I'd really like it, and so I'd have to see it with a bunch of different people mm-hmm. to make sure they saw it. But everybody's on different schedules, so I end up going into seeing it four or five, six times myself just to make sure everybody else has seen it. So I did that with Mad Max. I think I saw it with my friend first in 3D, Ugh. and then I got you guys to see it. Came all the way up to Baltimore. <laughs> I got my mother to see it. <laughs> I think that might have been it. So it might have just been three this time. But in terms of the men's rights, which I, I still don't quite grasp what that agenda is all about. Um, no, I, I, I was not tricked. The movie gave me exactly what I was looking for. If you recall, I don't. do we just talk about the movie? Um, mm-hmm. Any parts of it? Yeah, I, we assume yeah, everybody's yeah. already seen it. Um, oh, yeah, sorry. Spoilers, everybody, if you haven't seen it. We're going to talk about this movie in detail. We're getting better and better at podcasting. As right. Go. It's just awesome. Thanks for reminding us, guest. <laughs> if you haven't seen of it, our you job. should see it. Well, in the, in the film, uh, it's the point at which the bullet farmer brother gets blinded 
and he puts on the blindfold and he says, I am the whatever, the, he has a speech that he I does. I am the scales of justice. Exactly. I am the scales of justice. Exactly. They're playing this song. Well, that song they used in one of the trailers as well, Requiem. Caius Irae Requiem, I think, is the name of that particular piece, the music. And the whole theme for the trailer was, this is crazy. And that's what the movie delivered, I felt. Um, I wasn't, I should have been expecting, but I wasn't quite expecting it to be so much of a feeling like the movie Speed, where it was really an adrenaline rush. Mm -hmm. Uh, Although I think it was better paced and that there was a lot of fast, slow, fast, slow. Whereas if I recall speed, it was just kind of fast the whole way through. There wasn't much downtime. But in terms of the, the backlash now, I, uh, and, and that's part of why I wanted it to do really well when I heard that, was that I didn't agree with that. Uh, I don't think there's a particular agenda that's being pushed by the film. I'm pretty sure that, that Miller himself, when he was doing it, was not thinking in terms of politics at all, that it was just a story he wanted to tell and really more of a race that he wanted to show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think he had uh, advisors that came in and, and made it more female-friendly, which is good. But I don't think that that was the, the primary goal of the film. And you're yeah, not he, just saying that because we quite literally have <laughs> balls in a vice right now. You love this movie. It is. <laughs> you're not anti-woman. I love this movie. <laughs> well, we don't want to give this group too much airtime by like naming them Very or true. anything. Very true. Because they're also the people who seem to think that they boycotted and somehow successfully... Um, I know. Thwarted Star Wars as well. Yeah, that movie tanked. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that didn't make any money. No, no, no. The filmmakers lost out on those like dozens of dollars Mm. that these these six could I'm sure they're going to boycott the next Star Wars movie because it has a female. Oh, Ghostbusters first. And and Ghostbusters, yeah. But I do, oh, yeah, there is a backlash. So we'll have to do that one just out of spite review Ghostbusters. Yeah. But I did want to say, because it's laughable, the quote from one of the men, and this was before the movie even came out. This was based solely on the trailer. That one of the guys was anti Mad Max Fury Road because he said Theron talked a lot during the trailer, <laughs> and she barked orders at Max. No one barks orders at Mad Max. Surely Theron was um, bossing Max running her mouth, being a bossy dame. Mm-hmm. That that part aside, I think that the, this movie had a lot, a lot of potential for hatred just because it's not Mel Gibson being Mad Max. Yeah, you know, you've got Tom Hardy who, I mean. We've all, of course, seen him before, but can he be Mad Max? Nobody really knew. I didn't think people were that loyal to Mel. I was no. so glad I think because he wasn't of where there. he is. In his well, life I knew they wouldn't right be able now. to bring him back. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, people who are Mad Max fans, this isn't the same Mad Max. You think they would be more annoyed than that about that rather than that? There's oh my god, there's a woman in it who's also a lead. But yeah, they didn't. The last movie was um, Return to Thunderdome. And I don't really, that's the only one I don't remember. I beyond Thunderdome, yeah. Beyond Thunderdome, yeah, thank yeah. you. So I don't remember what they happened. They don't just return to, to the him. Thunderdome, they go <laughs> yeah. beyond it. The only thing I remember about that movie was they had this arena pit with yeah. this uh, uh, giant and, and midget or small person or whatever the, the terminology is, but they had these two, two characters that he had to fight, and they were called Master Blaster. Oh, and yeah. When he went in, there was a chant. Two men enter, one man leaves. Yes! I forgot that's what and that's that, from. That is what I remember from the film was just that chant. I the, forgot the, that was from that movie. Two men enter, one man yeah. leaves. Which is kind of funny because there was actually three men in that pit. But, you know. <laughs> and Tina Turner was in that and that was the first time I think she had been in a big major motion picture. Probably. Probably. Certainly in an action-y kind of, you know, post-apocalypse. That yeah. certainly was not. 
any kind of genre she would have been in. Yeah. Well, so this is the fourth chapter, if you want to call, of the Mad Max you know, legacy. You had the original Mad Max in 1979, which was pre-apocalypse. I felt like the world was going bad. It was going sour. Gangs were kind of overtaking everything. And then the first one, spoiler for all the Mad Max films, uh, his wife and baby are run down by a motorcycle gang in front of him. And that kind of begins like the silent protagonist who, you know, is haunted by the ghosts of his past. Then you have what my introduction was, uh, The Road Warrior in 81, and that is the one that really took off and became very famous. And this one pays a lot of homage to The Road Warrior. There's some quotes that they actually kind of echo uh, in Fury Road. Um, Furiosa is talking to one of the wives, and she says, You want to get through this? Do as I say. And in Road Warrior, Mad Max tells the people, You want to get out of here? They're very, very similar. <laughs> similar yeah. As you were pointing out, Sean, there's the, they bring like the shotgun. The little, is that the one that fails? Yeah, yeah I believe it fails, fails in that in as well. The, yeah. It's full of sandstorm. Yeah. Well, I don't know that it, that was the case then, but yeah. it just it failed. Yeah. And they have the little music box that in the Road Warrior, the child, mm-hmm. uh, Max, Max gives to a child, and then one of the five wives just kind of has it mm-hmm. randomly in the background. But uh, So Road Warrior was the, it was the second chapter, but the first one that was post-apocalypse. They don't even really say what the end of the world was in the Road Warrior, but in this one, it's very clear that it is post like nuclear war. It's environmental. Well, I I don't even know if it was very it was clear nuclear. necessarily because they they talked about running out of oil and running out of water, but I don't know that they said what did they? Well, I mean, they in showed the, pictures of explosions. That's true. They showed pictures of explosions, <laughs> and <laughs> makes they, sense. That's, you know enough said. They showed <laughs> a picture true. of explosion. Mushroom cloud. That's probably Ergo, it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Mad Max land. <laughs> And the war boys, I call them half-life boys, which are yeah. kind of products Absolutely. of like radiation That's and things yeah. like right. that. There's the the scene where they come to the storm clouds in the desert, which I assume is left over from the war that are raging. It's just global warming, I think, yeah. <laughs> at that point. <laughs> no, I, I, They've well, created I, that kind of... Um, I don't know if it's fiction or not, but certainly the idea of nuclear winter and other stuff mm-hmm. where you know the, the nuclear explosions do impact the, the weather. Right. That, that kind of a thing. Yeah, I wasn't kidding about global warming. Like, I'm sure, like, the nuclear weaponry heightening it, but, yeah, like, we've created that kind of reaction yeah. in the environment. Yeah. I, I don't somehow. know how far in the future this is supposed to be exactly. I think it's pretty, at least a couple of generations. Yeah. Well, no, Max is still around, and he was part of the old one, so not that long. Th- that's the part that gets really weird, because, like, he should probably be a lot older. I, that, that was when I was saying that Miller had talked about, I think, that they weren't necessarily chronological or, or not necessarily in a specific year, but yet it's hard to know. It's just um, another chapter in Max's story, wherever it yeah. falls in the timeline, yeah. It would be like the Terminator where you have like this decrepit huh. old Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> and the young 20-something actress. And like at least yeah. Tom Hardy is a good pairing to Charlize Theron. Yeah. To set the stage for this story, is it is Max on his own. He's basically become feral. And yeah. It's just like a wild animal, just pure survival. He is the one who runs from both the living and the dead. Yeah. Max. True. And he talks to a cockroach in that scene. Actually, no. It was an iguana? What was the little creature he was talking to? Uh, you mean the thing he ate? Yes. It was <laughs> talking was, to him. He was t- no, I think he was talking to himself. No, he it just... whispered to him. It had that crazy whisper, and it had the kind of, um, had the little insect noise that Helena has in Orphan Black oh, I when she was talking the, to the... the ghost of the daughter or yeah. the little but girl. I, it was, was talking to him through the creature. It was like... No, it was, you know, yeah, he heard his, his dead daughter whisper. 
But I thought it was through the It was in thing. the scene, but it wasn't like the lizard was doing that. Either. Oh, I think also in the trailers, it was like, oh, they had that voice while it was running around, and I always thought, he thought it was talking to him. Oh, no. This is a Geico ad. Shit! <laughs> <laughs> wow, he killed this to get go. <laughs> That's the way it should go out, getting eaten by Max. But he is captured and brought in, and thank goodness they give him a haircut. It's a little rough, but... Hmm. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't uh, make sure it was even or anything. Yeah. And they put his medical records tattoo on his back. Isn't that convenient? Huh. I think we should all get that. That's the future. Universal donor. Uh-huh. They use him because apparently he's got some full life. They call him a full life, and he is... Uh, he's untainted. Untainted, yeah. So Which, how does every... Like, infection must just run rampant. I mean, I know they're half mutated anyway, but good God. Even that tattoo was just filthy. He probably got some kind of poison. I think he would have died from that yeah, tattoo. Possibly. Max dies of consumption in the <laughs> Citadel. <laughs> There's so much dust and sand everywhere. (laughs) It'd be an epic ending to our hero. Well, it is fascinating that he's captured and as healthy as he is, they immediately see him as a source of something to be farmed. Yeah. And they basically, you know, hook him up. It literally becomes a blood bag to one of the, to the war boys. That's his, yeah, that's his uh, nice little nickname is blood bag. Yeah, I wasn't sure I was going to like this movie, and I mean, I wanted to see it. I was going to do my part to support, you know, the, the feminist, feminist agenda. agenda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're the opposite reaction. Oh, there's a feminist agenda. Oh, hell yeah! Better go support that. Yeah. Gotta go. Gotta go see it. <laughs> well, actually, a lot of women I talked to only went to see that movie because they heard that's funny. that it had a feminist agenda. Way to so shoot your own foot. It's kind of the opposite. Right. Not because they heard what these you know idiots were saying, but they heard they're like. Oh no, I'm never going to see Mad Max. And then women told them, "No, you yeah. should. It's really great, actually, with women." And I would have seen see it. it because I, I love the other Mad Max films. And I, when I found out Charlize Theron was in it, I was like, "Yes, I want to go see this." But um, when you, Sean, were so enthusiastic about it, I, <laughs> just drove up to Baltimore, banging on our doors. <laughs> you got to see this. That's how it happened. And when it first started out, it was all very frenetic and like the whole chase scene. I was like, I'm not sure if this movie is going to be like this the whole way. Am I going to be able to, to take this? But, you know, you appreciate it now. Now I have watched it four times, <laughs> four and a half. <laughs> Do you notice that opening scene has no music? I noticed that when I rewatched it this time. I think it's the only card scene in the whole movie when they're chasing Max has no music at all no sound I mean it's the sound of the cars but nothing else you're right you're right it's not until he's being dragged behind that the uh, the strings come in that whole thing Mm -hmm. comes in it just starts with him doing his little monologue about survival yeah talking to the gecko Talking to the gecko. Apparently talking to the gecko, yeah. But I thought it was just going to be a mindless action film, and I like that once in a while, but I wasn't sure what to expect. And when it first started, I was a little overwhelmed. Like, it captured like the frenziedness of the moment, and then it kind of it kept moving, but it wasn't like so insane either that, or I just kind of like got used to the pace of the movie. But Yeah, I, it definitely has ramp-ups, and I like that when they all decide to go after Furiosa, it's like, you know... It, that's they kind of introduce it with like the lowering of the band car, whatever we're gonna call it, the one with all the drums and the war, wagon. The war band, yeah, whatever that. Because um, it's like you know, getting you where it's like like getting everybody excited for the whole rest of the movie, and then they keep interjecting. Like that was one of my favorite things watching it was every time they showed the drummers and every time they showed the two warriors, just like yeah, we're back on the road. They finally get through all these piles of rocks. Yeah, we're back on the road. The movie keeps going. Well, you so brought great. up the Doof Warrior. And <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go, right? <laughs> it's like, 
Lisa's favorite part. Uh, I was every time. I, I was swept up in this movie more than I thought I would be. I didn't expect a movie about the desert to be first of all. so bright. We're going to talk about colors. We will. So colorful. It's like you would think it would just be kind of like brown and maybe kind of bland, but it's like the first thing that strikes you about it is just so vivid. Vivid, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And the Doof Warrior is very colorful. He's like the only one who's not in like black leathers and, and everything. He's in red. Once I saw Conan dressed as him, I can't see him not being Conan <laughs> O'Brien. That's <laughs> funny. Conan had a sketch where he dressed up, and it's just perfect. He just matched it perfectly. Well, the Doofor, every time he came on, I found myself just like, <laughs> just found myself like, yes, yes, Doofor. Find yourself rooting for the bad guys? <laughs> he was an actual soldier, the Doofor is reminiscent of the um, like the Civil War, the, the drummer boys. Yeah, Absolutely. you know they yeah. minstrels. <laughs> minstrels, even yeah. <laughs> brave, 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 these young, it would be young boys, and they would be out there marching with the troops in it. The drum beats would keep the troops together, and sometimes they would have signals to like signify movements and things like that. And the Dufourier was right in the middle of it, and the drummers too. They're right in the middle of the battle. So, mm-hmm. although well, he he did fight. He did have a pretty awesome flamethrower guitar, <laughs> which was totally made. There wasn't movie. anything in this movie that wasn't pimped out. Mm-hmm. I love that. The cars were kind of like speed racer-like in the fact that whatever you could imagine would be on or part of them. There were saws, there were flamethrowers, there were handguns hidden under human skulls. The um, bullet farmer's car was a like a Chevelle or something pasted on top of like a tank tread. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it was like yeah, a was sandwich car. It was great. That kind of ridiculousness can we put this on this yeah all right <laughs> it does it still it run fits. all right it looks good can we add spikes to this thing yeah. where just everywhere more spikes yeah That's right. just add more spikes if Furiosa hadn't taken off and taken a detour and done her whole chase like the war boys would have had nothing to do they're just sitting around all day only her little party got to go get gas and bullets everybody else was just like sitting around getting blood donated i thought you were saying that the people were bored like the people who were waiting for the water i'm like oh no they were starving they're starving yeah not, no, not the, bored the war boys like they were just <laughs> hanging out until they heard they were like oh furiosa's on the loose let's go get her they were all excited it's a good like, point like what does he do. have that army for exactly they probably just beat up often... on the poor starving people <laughs> Yeah, how often do they make, like, supply runs and things? Because, you know, you have Mad Max in the beginning gets captured and Furiosa goes out, you know, presumably for a supply run, but immediately you realize she's taking a detour and you find out that she is escaping the Citadel and that she has five wives with her. Like, what do they call Prized prized breeders. Prized breeders, yeah. I like how she slowly detours too. She does. She takes kind of a left turn, and her guards are just like, confused. Where are we going? Where are we going, boss? Where are we going? She's like, "Oh, I'll tell you later." Shuts the window, right. <laughs> and they still follow her. Yeah, I got that scene. The scene again. She obviously had some form of rank within their structure She's an as well. well. Yeah, whatever that is. is but. It, I assume it's a driver, like a high level driver, because when she they realize she's escaped, one of the war boys says, "And in, an imperator's gone rogue." Or, yeah, betrayal, something, and Imperator's gone rogue. That was yeah. what the Nuxes. Traitor him. And she Traitor. had her own steering wheel. Everybody else had to pick from that altar of steering wheels that was just that big pile. <laughs> she had her own. Well, Mux had his own as well. I think they Did would he? run to get their own because he had a fight with his, oh, right, his right. guy. Oh, right, His Slit. brother. Or... Slit. Yes. I learned a lot more about the movie by having the subtitles on. Mm-hmm. And 
just like the slang and the dialect and things that they said that I didn't understand. There was a line I wrote down that I didn't realize the first two times I saw this, which I'm not sure if that's what they really said. So maybe since you read the, since you read the movie, <laughs> um, when Nux says to Slit, I'm going to die historic on Fury Road. So it says organic. Yeah. Yeah. Organic. As a, and I loved it that that was like a hell yeah, organic. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that the first time I saw well, it. There was one scene where they were driving into the, yeah. the dust bowl. And I think it slid, and he it, he yelled what I thought in the movie was faggot. <laughs> kind of, no, like, no, it was fang. Fang it. Fang it, yeah. yeah. Fang it, like, um, and they say several times fang it, but I was one like. One of the wives says it at one point, too, I think. Well, uh, Furiosa does when she. She says, we're going to fang she it. She jumps over it. Well, yeah. the. Fang it, I guess that's like. Appalachian motorcycle squad, as I like to call them, when they were going to shoot at her, she says, fang it, and jumps over Like, why would you you die with a slur? But to get back to my feminist agenda. Yes. We're talking about how Furiosa was the only female that I could see that was part of the army, or at least of the show, because it was really all just guys. So so clearly she has earned her place, because we know that she at one point had been captured and was a prisoner, but somehow had worked herself up to the ranks to have what seemed to be a very prestigious role of driving the rig, Mm because... Even Nux coveted that position of, yeah. of driving the rig. So you have a woman amidst these ranks, but then you have a lot of the other women that you see, at least in the Citadel, are, I call them the milkmaids. <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the women, you know, literally hooked up to breast pumps. And then you have the, the five wives, the, the breeders who are locked in a safe. Yeah, it has a safe door and everything. When Immortan Joe realizes that Furiosa has gone rogue, the first thing he does is run to the safe to check on yeah. the, the five So how lives. does he know? Like, how, Why would he think that? I thought that was interesting, that he immediately assumes. Right, that, that somehow she would be in league with removing his property. But what I noticed is as he was running into the vault... He was he, an awkward runner, let's just be <laughs> honest. He was an awkward... He was wearing a lot of stuff. Yeah. yeah. There's no majesty in that run. Sorry. Little waddly, it's kind of, of a yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> like yeah. barreling down. I think he was wearing a diaper or something. Oh. I mean, it was it was a mess. Yeah, just was, you know, he just did, didn't age smell. gracefully so much in Morton Show. Oh, yeah, think. you should say the, the actor, the actor did. I'd butcher his name if I said it, but he had a three part name, Hugh Keys Burn. There you go, and he plays a Morton Joe in this movie, but he was also leader of the motorcycle gang in the first Mad Max. Was known as Toe Cutter. Toe Cutter. Yeah. Talk about a promise in that name. Morton Joe sounds a little more eloquent. Yeah. But he certainly doesn't look it. But in real life, he actually does. He just he looks like a very elegant older man. Oh, uh, really? So he's very just handsome. Put a bunch he, of shit on I him. I think he's yeah. from India. He's of Indian descent, and he moved to Australia, hmm. and he became an actor there. But as he's waddling his diaper yes, little ass the, into <laughs> the into the safe to check on his his prized breeders. They're in what is like series of rooms, you know, under the ground. But the first room is full of books. Hmm. And that's when I realized those women would never have had the urge to escape had they not been knowledgeable and, you know, somewhat to educated. Read. Yeah. They were educated women. They're all so escape books. <laughs> books on how to escape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody else had forgotten. You really didn't think this through, did he? Damn it. But I mean, how it, to hide in a truck. It set those women apart from the war boys and 
a lot of the other people is that they were educated. And How to wear a tactical bit. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you, you shouldn't have brought up the books. No. Now she's going to be theorizing what the books were the entire time. Tactical show. bride outfits. There was anything tactical about what they were wearing. It was just like two pieces of gauze. It really seemed like it would get in the way of stuff. Oh, too. yeah. Just like that would get flowing. caught in a motor. I thought oh, maybe yeah. they were dressed that way on purpose so that they couldn't be around cars because one of those dreads. Right. Gets you get like a recreation of it. the no cape scene from uh, Incredible. Yeah. Right? <laughs> no cape. <laughs> just gets sucked into a tractor or something. I'm sorry. Or their favorite book, Five Brides for One Brother. Ah, see? <laughs> <laughs> Someone else is thinking about it. <laughs> Well, I was trying to be serious for half a second, but fuck it. <laughs> Join I the party. I can't not see a Morton Joe running in a diaper now. <laughs> well, sorry. Watch it again. It's ruined forever. Who changes this diaper? Did you notice that like, you had the horrible guy who was the, they called him the people eater or something like that, who had the yeah. nose, the false yeah. nose, and the pierced nipples that his shirt, yeah. his, his shirt had the nipples cut out? Just so you wouldn't miss him. Someone was tending to his feet at one of the Yeah, they're like clipping his like, toenails or something. Doing? I don't yes. know. It's, he's he, going to get he pedicure. The, he was while the gasoline guy, right? Yes. But also, yes, yeah, he's the, <laughs> he's their accounting. Yeah. yeah. Well, those heavy feet, it just reminds me of kids in the hall, Mr. Heavyfoot, <laughs> that character. He's <laughs> <laughs> always trying to run a race. But that comes in handy later when Max just puts the heavy foot on yeah, the Yeah, sure. Yeah. That, that's a weight. That's, that's the, quite a weight. The paper weight. <laughs> I was going to talk about how this movie was so respectful to people with disabilities, but we're kind of... We're kind of, <laughs> kind of making fun of all that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I do want to talk about that for a second. I mean, everybody in this movie, at least in the Citadel, they seem to have some kind of uh, physical disability. Um, we're assuming that it's a product of several generations post-apocalypse. Mutations. Yeah, yeah. mutations because of mm-hmm. nuclear war. And why someone with healthy blood like Max is coveted, and why the five wives are breeders to to basically create as healthy babies. So this movie got a lot of accolades from people with disabilities because although you know they're present, but they're not portrayed as in like a David Lynch freak show kind of way. It's kind of a matter of fact. Like Morton Joe is basically on a respirator, and even was it Rictus? You see, like, air tube in his face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's he, something in it for a breathing. He's got a respirator. Yeah. The Half-Life boys seem to have cancer. And a ray you know, of stuff, yeah. And Larry and Barry on Nux's neck and oh. stuff like Wind that. Pipe. yep. But um, a woman, um, her name is L. J. Vaughn, and she had a blog, and they reprinted it in the Mary Sue, and she was uh, an amputee. She was known as a fetal amputee, and she had been born with one arm. So mm-hmm. basically, she had a similar condition to what... Furiosa had, and she was saying how she loved the fact that this movie portrayed people with disabilities, but it never was really an issue. They didn't discuss it, and it wasn't even an impediment. Mm-hmm. It was just like a matter of fact, and there was even a scene where Max is trying to fire off this massive gun, which they only have three bullets they for. keep counting down. Weighs, yeah, he wastes two, and he's, he's mad enough to realize that he's got one more shot, and he's already fucked it up twice, and he just relents and Furiosa comes over and shoots it even with one hand well she's doing the the IT guy thing where she's like all right let me do it just let me do it well (laughs) the thing about that was I noticed that he witnesses her firing from way the hell off and hitting something Mm -hmm. earlier in the film yeah so he's already aware of her skill it wasn't just a gee I can't you try but a knowledge that she actually can yeah that he knew that she could 
Uh, he, I, wasn't, he wasn't necessarily just giving up, but realizing there's a better player here and we need to give the ball to them. Just a side note, I think that was the scene when one of the brides, in terms of victim-abuser relationships, one of the brides is freaking yes. out. She's like, exactly. I'm just going to run back to him. Exactly. He'll keep me safe. He likes me. Chill. You know, screw all this. And so you see Furiosa and you think for a second she's going to shoot her. (laughs) At least I did when I first saw it. But she picks off a random war boy off in the distance that was getting closer. Right, that that she was presumably running to. I was just going to say she proved her her strength and her prowess and her skills in their initial fight when Furiosa and Max meet. They each prove how quick they are and how strong. Yeah, I think it was huge to show someone with a missing arm in a movie. First of all, they kind of glorify it. She's already in a position of power, but I love on the driver's side, her left arm is the one that <laughs> yeah. is in the robotic attachment, and so they have the skull arm, the skull arm painted Skeleton on it. Skeleton arm, yeah. The skull arm, yeah. It's Skeleton not a skull, it's, it's not her head, it's her arm, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the skull attached to an arm. <laughs> but it's kind of like a symbol of, like, that's celebrating her awesome arm and all the power that she has. And I love that... They have someone with a missing arm who we see her for a while, but the first time that she actually gets into an altercation, it's without her metal arm attachment. It's just with her real arm. And so she's fighting him the whole time with just one arm and doing arguably better than he is, even though I love that it's kind of a group fight with the wives participating and with Nux unconscious. I think that's such a beautifully well, choreographed fight. He's got the leash, you know, that anybody can grab on at any time. Yeah, it's, it's just, just constant back and forth yeah. of everybody and... That was the other thing I liked about the Five Wives when you, you saw them at first. They're portrayed as captives, as victims who are escaping from their master, basically. But they fight. They pitch in. You know, one thing I hate in action films is when the guys are fighting and the woman's standing in the corner. And crying. <laughs> what do I do? What do I do? Yeah. Right? Yeah. They do the best they can. Because you know, they think, at that point, Max is the bad guy. And he, for all intents and purposes, seems to be attacking them again. So... They're trying to help, and even through the whole movie, they're not just crying. Wilted like, flowers. Yeah. You know, Cheeto has her moment of freaking out, but she's in the middle of a war. They're being chased, and there's war parties after, and so it seemed likely that somebody would freak well, out maybe and be like, she, you know what, maybe this isn't such a great idea. Cheeto does, at one point, redeem herself directly. Well, I um, love that, yeah. Towards the she end, does when the fake she out. does the fake out, exactly. What That's, I love about the brides, too, is that they're pacifists. At some point, yes. they say... No unnecessary killing. Yeah, no unnecessary killing. And then um, when Nux steals his way in there and they're all scared of him and they all want to you know, boot him out, they just say, no, he's just a war boy, like a poor war boy. All that they've been through, they still don't hate all of the war boys. They have all that learning. Well, I, th- I think it's They have a respect for life for some reason. You might have said to me... Or somebody said to me, where, I'll take credit for it. Sure. <laughs> somebody. Me. Because, I mean, obviously, it's been a year. We've had a lot of conversations. A lot of <laughs> We people. talk about Mad Max every day. <laughs> every single day. That's right. The war boys are really mentally abused. They're victims, too. Yeah. And, and I think that the, the women all realize that. That, yeah, they weren't raped, but yeah. that they're, they're victims as well. So they're, they're, they could technically all be on the same side if they were to have the right point of view. You see the young war boys, the half-life, and they're being bred at a young age to believe that they're going to somehow be immortalized. It's like the glorifying of death. They call themselves comma crazy, and it's like suicide bombers. I was going to say, it's suicide yeah, bombers, it's, yeah. it's being told that you're dying for a greater cause, and you might die in this life. Going to get all those virgins But you're going to live forever in some... What is it? Valhalla. It? Valhalla. Valhalla, which is pulled so directly from the, it, mm-hmm. the Norse. It's, yeah. it's a brainwashing, and they are victims of being brainwashed, and 
I think this whole movie is basically about victims helping victims. People who've been abused in some way helping others who've been abused. Because Furioso, she was stolen as a child, and then we don't know what she went through in her life to get to where she is now, but we know that she wants to leave. And then her helping the brides who were treated as breed mares, basically. And then them helping Max, who's been through his own mess of shit with what he's um, being captured and his family dying and everything, and then helping Nuck. So it's just like this whole passing on the torch of support and helping each other. What's interesting about this group of people, you have Furiosa, the wives, Max, and even Nux to a certain extent in this world where it's so violent and everyone's just out for themselves and brutality is rewarded. All of these people, no matter how hard they have it, they haven't lost their sense of humanity yet. Even Max, who he was, he was going to steal the rig and leave Furiosa oh, yeah, and the five sure. wives in the desert. Absolutely. Absolutely. He wasn't going to kill them. I mean, he, he had opportunities where he could have. And twice, actually, Furiosa almost shot Max in the face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. You know, the gun yeah. failed, yep. she didn't. And the she other would have gun, had yeah. it not. It's still self-preservation. But, but their relationship evolves over the course of the movie to where yeah. once he's... And he doesn't even spend that much time with the brides before he starts to kind of like them. Like you can see like when Splendid sacrifices herself to protect Furiosa, it's pretty much right after that that she narrowly escapes falling out of the truck and Max gives her the thumbs up yep. because he's relieved. Very, yeah. He's actually relieved, I think, that she's still alive and then, of course, it gets reversed. And then we have to have her suffer. Yeah. Well, I, I got the impression that she was at least unconscious for the rest of it, that she was... Did you? She, I didn't... I, I felt like she was not there, like yeah. mentally, that, that she was... Yeah, she was still alive, but I think she was probably, I don't know, brain dead or what, but she was... Before they cut the baby out, Mm -hmm. the doctor guy says, like, your girlie's breathing her last breath, so I think... Right. Yeah. I think she perishes just before they cut the baby out. Yeah, she's already really messed up. Yeah. And Morton Joe is so worried about his property, (laughs) um, the idea of having another son, when they take the baby out and they realize it's a boy, the doctor's doctor but <laughs> whatever he is the crazy guy the bone saw, the yeah. bone saw. <laughs> he says yeah you too bad you know another month you would have had a son uh, a boy healthy in every way and they celebrate even though the baby's was dead you know they celebrate it's like i had a baby brother you know perfect in every way and you know yeah. he's glorifying it and i was like what if it had been a girl would he been like eh, mm. probably you know so yeah, you, you see the value that they put on the male, the male life, versus the women are like might have just chucked her into the uh, the safe. The safe. Ooh. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't. I mean, were those any of those breeders his offspring? One of the five wives. Her name was. I never heard him refer to it, but her name was Toast. She was one of the five. Oh, wives. Toast. Toast. Was she Lenny Kravitz's daughter? She was like the daughter of Lenny Kravitz's yeah. daughter. And Lisa Bonet. Uh-huh. So, come Gorgeous. On. Yeah. Well, it was her and then Elvis Presley's granddaughter. Yeah, yeah it was interesting that they had these descendants of very mm-hmm. famous people in the film. Mm-hmm. Well, Toast knew how to load a gun, that's for sure. Well, I like that she was in charge of the bullets because she was like, that's one. You wasted another one. <laughs> to be fair, that's, that's not her first movie. And the first nope. one I saw her in, which I don't know if it was her first or not, but was uh, X-Men First Class yep. where she was... The butterfly? I don't know what she was. She had wings. Firebug? I don't know what her name was. She did. Did she? Yeah, she, she spit, spit fire and she could fly. Some kind of a fire and she had butterfly <laughs> wings, yeah. <laughs> Off topic, sorry. But yes, <laughs> just, We're good. We're just kind of all over the place. Well, we just derailed that entirely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good old X-Men. 
<laughs> so let's talk about the colors. Colors. A lot of, a I, wrote, I wrote down film, a lot of colors. colors. One of my favorite scenes is the, the sandstorm in the desert with the lightning. Absolutely. And I love how it drastically changes the entire atmosphere of the film in that it the storm itself is kind of red explosions and red yellow lightning and everybody else turns black and white. And I wasn't exactly sure how they did it, but every red explosion you see war boys that are they're already painted white and wearing uh black face makeup, but they turn like almost two dimensional in contrast with the color, which I thought was fascinating because that's kind of the first moment where Furiosa has a real lead and really separates herself. And it almost looked like a stage, like a play. Hmm. The way it was lit, just because they all became like very like one dimensional in their black and white in this, while she like exploded away from all of them. This movie won six Academy Awards, which I have to say was the only Worth reason it. I watched the Academy. Yeah, Awards we actually this year. watched it because it was nominated. And the one award it didn't win was the one I expected it to for special effects. Well, and I, I was confused when we were watching the Oscars. I wasn't sure if stunts were in a separate category than special effects. I wasn't sure because most of the effects in this movie are practical, which is insane. It's so beautiful. And you can tell the war boys, yeah, they're all stunt doubles. Look at them. They're all ripped. Like every single war boy, I think, was a stunt double for the most part, except for Nux and a few of the other ones. But yeah, all those stunts were practical. And so I didn't know if that would fall into special effects category. I highly recommend if you haven't seen the making of this, whether it's on YouTube or on, you know, like I bought the DVD with the special features, I could not wait to find out how they did the special effects and learning about it just, you know, when you go back and watch it, it doesn't detract anything. It's not like finding out how a magician did a trick and you're like, oh, well, that's, you know. Any kind of CGI they said was really done to kind of enhance backgrounds or remove wire work Mm -hmm. so that you couldn't see it. The pole cats. Oh, the pole cats. Well, and I even love when they just, like, come down and sweep up Max, like, whoop! Like, it's just kind of comical (laughs) that they could just... Just well, that that was in. a scene from the trailer, and and just uh-huh. part of the the craziness is he's bouncing one here, and there's this one truck exploding in the background. It's just like, like, what I... the hell is going on? It's just absolute like, chaos. Bang it. <laughs> <laughs> it! Bang it! Bang it! Um, yes. But That's the stunt coordinator who came up with that had worked with Cirque du Soleil in Vegas, and he had seen people <laughs> do homework, ah. and so he sense. took that and incorporated it into the film, and when you watch it, you see that it's mechanical. It's, the bottom of the pole is weighted with like these tires, and so there's an actor, a stunt person, weighting it and swinging it. It's just fascinating to watch. I mean, every effect in this movie is just I amazing. think because I saw the making of it, and I forget if Tom Hardy was like... He's like, you guys really are doing it. We're doing it this way. And they're like, what, are you afraid? He's like, no. <laughs> no, I can, I can do it. Totally <laughs> but yeah, he didn't. Because, I mean, he does, obviously he does a lot of his own stunts, but he's like, oh. <laughs> I didn't know how much of this had to be real. Yeah, well, that, that reminds me of the, uh, it, it, this was, it was one of the first parts, the first times the whole feminist agenda thing was coming out, actually, was when they were at oh, a press yeah. junket, I think, and, um, this one reporter from I don't know where, he, he says to, to Tom, well... So I just wanted to ask you, as you were reading the script, did you ever think, why are all these women in here? I thought this was supposed to be a man's movie. No, not for one minute. I love that they took, they took stills of his face reacting to that before he said yeah, anything. Yeah, they made them into gifts. And he yeah. was just like, his face was just like, what the fuck? Like, why do I even have to answer this? And then Charlie said, good for you. Tom Hardy says to George Miller at one point that I ha- something about I have to apologize to you because 
and I, I'm butchering whatever it is he said, but the, the impression I got was that he was a little bit difficult to work with on set and that he was a little bit skeptical or doubtful about some of the stuff that Miller was having him do because he couldn't see the full picture. Yeah. Whereas Miller, being the director and writer and everything else, knew exactly how this was going to unfold or what his whole vision was. And when Tom finally saw the, the final product, he was blown away. He yeah. was like, oh, this is what I was doing. You know, that that whole thing. So I wonder if in the making of there was any of that where, you know, maybe showing a little bit of him just kind of hesitant to do stuff because he didn't quite understand what they were really doing. He's pretty method, Tom Hardy. Mm -hmm. So I remember reading that Charlize and um, Nicholas Holt, who played Nux, would um, hang out and do yoga together, and they would knit. She taught him how to knit, and they tried to get Tom involved, and he couldn't do it, and he got angry and just, like, left. He's like, fuck it. (laughs) But he's more... He likes to embody the role, so he was kind of being, being crazy and being by himself and yeah. everything during it, which, I mean, that's totally valid. That's it's a way. And he didn't realize there was a feminist agenda until it was all done. <laughs> he was like, this is bullshit. No. Um, so I just want to briefly talk about Knox. He was he's the little boy in About a Boy. Yeah, you didn't know that? Aww. So little awkward chubs. <laughs> Sang that song at the piano with his mom. <laughs> oh, killing me softly. That <laughs> Hugh Grant had to walk away from. Oh, that's a good movie, yeah. Again, for me, last thing I think, first thing I think I saw him in, <laughs> X-Men First yeah. Class, he was Beast. Sean's only seen two movies. Right. Uh, if it's not a Mad Max film, it's got to be an X-Men Just watch film. watch him on a loop. <laughs> there you go. But well, it is interesting how, in, in general, in a lot of films, you'll see pairings, or maybe three or even four sometimes, of stars who have been in a previous movie that had nothing to do with that film before, you know, not a sequel or something. And so, of course, we had Zoe Kravitz and Nicholas Holt in this, and both of them were in X-Men for mm-hmm. twice as well. It's just And probably didn't interact in that movie, and probably didn't interact in this one necessarily. Oh, no, they did have scenes together, kind of, in this one. And I think in X-Men as well, because, I mean, they were both part of he that whole beast. thing. Um, Younger beast. But you have to wonder, I mean, in terms of connections and getting roles and stuff, if there was, you know, they have a similar person who recommends stuff or casting directors or however that It's always interesting to hear sometimes how other actors will go to bat for somebody else and Mm -hmm. they'll say, you know, you should think, you should consider this person. And you wonder about that, exactly. When you see multiple people in, in the same movies that aren't. The same production well, companies or even anything. Like Bradley Cooper now, because he's worked with uh, Jennifer Lawrence in several movies and came out saying, like, oh yeah, we should pay the female, the women that I've worked with in all these movies equally to me. <laughs> he actually came out and said that because a lot of flack has been going around about that in the industry and still, like, none of the men were really saying anything. He was like, oh yeah, no, I've worked with, because Jennifer Lawrence had had this whole article about being paid equally and asking for more and what her answers were. What she was told and her not she's not getting paid no well. not the same i mean i would have thought after hunger games she could just she gets paid a lot but yeah like her and wants, i mean but... and then other actresses who worked in the same movie with her and bradley cooper and huh. they yeah getting paid less i'm so, just showing my male, male ignorance of the whole thing but, it's just uh, yeah it's just a rampant problem well, we're talking about women. You had some things you wanted to say about female friendships in this movie. i do because lisa's gonna tear them all down let me get the popcorn well, you can you can chip in if you thought anything about Nobody was friendly with anybody. I don't know what you're talking about. What? I don't know. What I assumed going into it was uh, Furiosa, based on what she had been through to get to her position of power, I thought she would have been just like balls out, emotionless, full strength, you know, no compassion whatsoever. And the fact that she had compassion for Max, she recognized that he was damaged and that he was out of his mind and that she would have to treat him differently. Like, even reasoning with him when he stole the truck 
and she was going down the list of like all the ways that she could basically convince him to let them back in there. And then she was like, do you want that thing off your face? <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> well, and she also had points that when she could kill him. Uh-huh. I mean, she made it very clear after he goes out to fix the back, she pulls up the, the gear shifter and it's a knife. She yeah. could have stabbed him, but she didn't. She kind of, yeah, she recognized, well, and part of that I think was a soldier in her. She recognized his use. Mm-hmm. There's a scene where they're driving and he freaks out. He wakes up from a nightmare and he like wakes up basically swinging his fist. And, you know, if you're on a road trip with somebody and your passenger, <laughs> your passenger does that, tip. you'd be like, dude, what the fuck? I don't want to get out of the car. And she was just like, it's okay. And it was just a simple line. There's not a lot of dialogue in here. Like writing down my favorite scenes, it was basically when anybody talked because they (laughs) they didn't. Well, yeah. But a lot of my favorite scenes didn't have a lot of words. They were action scenes or just something that was amazing or an emotional scene, like Furiosa when she goes to Lilith Fair and um, (laughs) (laughs) and Sarah McLaughlin's grandmother's there. And she thinks it's the green space, and she finds out uh, the green space was the quagmire where all the uh, where the crows were. And she has that moment where she's just devastated. The yeah. scream heard round the world. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> she takes off her arm and just shouts she's like, at the Fuck gods. It. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She just goes out and yells, "Bang it!" <laughs> <laughs> Bang it! <laughs> well, that was a beautiful scene. Now ruined. <laughs> By the Gallaghers. That's right. Now you've got diapers and now you've got Fangit. You're good. All right. She took off her diaper, (laughs) screamed to the wind. But you and I disagree that there's necessarily female friendships. My take on it was that Furiosa wasn't necessarily... I mean, she was helping them, but by default. Uh, The five wives, she was escaping and the five wives wanted to go with her and it was just kind of like... It was an opportunity for all of them. Well, actually, I've seen this movie four times, but you telling me that, I didn't realize that they had begged. And whenever I tell you something is right, <laughs> you should really listen. But no, Miss Giddy is the one who pointed Ms. Giddy, out. Miss Giddy, that's right. Uh, and I caught that too. Uh, and he's like, where are they? Where did you take them? And Miss Giddy says, they're not your property. You can't own a human being. We are and not sooner, things. Sooner or later, someone pushes back. And then she, he says, so I think that everybody is kind of surviving in like parallel worlds. They have to work together. And the fact that, as I said, these people have a sense of humanity, despite all the craziness around them. I feel like everybody's so guarded and so protected and they have so many of their own ghosts. And they're all and so much pain that they're... They're not allowing each other to get close. I love the fact that there's no real romance. The only romance is like Nux. To broship. And, yes, broship. <laughs> Nux and Capable, right? Otherwise known as Elvis Presley's granddaughter. <laughs> yes. One thing we've talked about before is how there's different female relationships. It's not just mean girls or friends. There's all different aspects to it. So basically, if the brides had begged her to be on the truck, she could have treated them like, you're just extra weight you're not important, you can't even fight, you know, you're just like cosmetically beautiful but worthless to me. She could have treated them like that, but she respected each and every one of their lives and was willing to do whatever it took to get them to safety, even though they begged her to be there. And then I liked when she does get to to Lilith Fair. (laughs) Well, one of my favorite scenes is when she gets there and they press foreheads. 
her pressing foreheads with the women was kind of akin to her doing the, the bro handshake with Max when he comes back and they realize that they're gonna they're gonna work together. But her relationship with them is different too because these are women she respects and these are women that she's probably thought about her whole life. And she thought she was gonna finally have safety and solitude with them and then she's like Oh, but now I still have to lead us somewhere. I can't relax. I can't just surrender to these women who are older and wiser than me. I have to lead them back through. Their relationships change. And it's like one of the wives, the dag, talks to the woman with the seeds. And the dag says to her, like, I thought you girls would be above killing. Like, I thought you'd be better than that. She's just like, no, you know, honey, we do whatever we need to survive. But the old women don't look down as on the brides as being She's not like, superficial. Look, like, put on some pants, yeah. girl. Like right. you wouldn't, you know, if you dress that way, of course you're going to be a bride to immortal. You know, there was none of that bullshit. It was like there was all asking adjusting. to be locked in a cave. <laughs> there, or there, two was, of gauze. there was no sense of competition within the women at all. No, they're all supportive they, they in different all, ways. Exactly. You know, the different viewpoints. Cast, they could have the, judged each other. They didn't. Sure, sure. It's interesting when you talk about Furiosa, I, I think that she did not only necessarily change her personality, but but it was almost that, you know, when she was a, the Imperator, she was the leader-soldier character, and then she was the liberator character, and then when she was with the many mothers, she actually kind of became a child again, yeah. briefly, briefly, before, and that was what that screaming was, was that yeah. lost childhood again, so now she has to go back to becoming a leader, Just at least for a little while. Again. Max, in comparison, I I don't think changed. I don't think I think that he was fairly constant the whole way through. That that he went back with them, though he fought for them, and he could have turned back. That, yeah, well, that's true. Okay, that. And and it's true that that was <laughs> not for himself. Uh, he could have just because because really right no. as soon as they got back, he left again. So it wasn't like I want water and food and whatever. It's just uh, I want to be your new Amorton Joe. Give me the breastplate. <laughs> I need five brides. <laughs> a lot of milk right now. Oh, yeah, I thought it was is uh, funny is probably not the right word, but it was just interesting how the <laughs> the many mothers turned out to be like six, and then by the end, I think it was two. I mean, it was pretty pretty grim. Yeah. Uh, but I did love. I, I, I think it was neat seeing the generations of women in, in the film as well. And yes, you had the oh, the, women the old the women who were quite capable of fighting as well. Uh, and yeah. one of the saddest scenes was when the seed woman, I'm going to keep calling her, got something she happened got slashed to her neck, her neck yeah, and I don't, then she hit they it. They weren't clear. And then she, yeah. you know, grasped all her seeds and got really quiet. Yeah. But I wanted to talk about the fact that this was a blockbuster movie and you have two gorgeous people. And I think people expected that there would be a romance. They'd make out Maybe people somewhere. were surprised that he left at the end. The only romance was very subtle, and it was between Nux and... Capable. But the fact that there there was no romance between... Um, no. There was a respect. It's a broship. I, I applaud the fact that they didn't detract from the story with, like, you know, oh, we have to have them kiss, hey, or there has to out. be something, yeah. Well, one of the most intimate moments in the movie, I think, is when Max tells her his name. Yeah. And gives her his blood because he recognizes that she's she needs to live and she's important. I did not expect her to survive. Me neither. I, I did it's not. Once that moment. stab oh. happened, I thought, oh, so she's going to be the, the martyr. Yeah. But, but and that's no. something that people always point out, at least feminist observations of films where there is a strong female character. She's always killed off. Wasn't that Pitch Black, one of your favorite movies? Oh, I love that movie. 
I don't actually know. I mean, I don't know if you're being ironic there. I, I no, I because I, you died. I did not like that. Yeah, exactly. I could not no, stand that's that. why. Oh, yeah, I you meant that. Sarcastic. Yeah, you knew that. Yeah, yeah. 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 No. you didn't like the movie. I, or didn't like that she was because they, I, she did all. This I liked the movie stuff. until that point. That, yep. that they went with one of the old survival horror, not survival, but the, the old horror archetypes where if you have ever done something bad or are presumed to have been something bad, your life is forfeit. You know, it was the old Friday the Thirteenth, sex and drugs, they're all killed, but. She had done something earlier in the film where she made a decision that got somebody killed, and at that point, it was decided that she's going to eventually have to die. Mm. That's just an old... Yeah, but then she's surrounded by convicts like Vin Diesel didn't die, and he did a lot of bad. He was a prisoner. But he didn't during that film. Oh, hers was Whatever he did was... Yeah, she had, she had done something. I don't remember. I only saw it once or twice, but... I mean, I liked the Riddick world, but... That that really rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, I remember. Well, yeah, I don't she mind. fights so hard, and then yeah. it's taken away from her. And yeah, I was totally expecting that to happen to Furiosa. See, I'm kind of conflicted. It's not that I like when they kill off female characters, but it's I like when a movie surprises you, know, surprises you, and and kills a main character because I don't like when it's like sitcom. It's like TV action show. We're like, well, nobody's gonna die because they're a main character. Right. I don't think they're doing it to be like kill a woman. You know, I don't. I True. didn't feel that in Pitch Black. I was. True. I remember being shocked and being like, "Whoa! I didn't see that coming." I didn't feel like, "Oh, they killed her because she was she was the woman and she had to go." <laughs> you know. No, and I don't think they did either. I think it was because she had done something bad. I think they were going because I think Pitch Black they were very much trying to go for a horror kind of thing, and in a lot of horror movies they have that rule that if you it's interesting, yeah. If you've ever done something bad, your life is forfeit. Uh, yeah, I thought it was a twist in that in the horror films you have. The woman survived. Typically, you have the female, the scream queen, and sometimes it's a matter of trying to figure out who she is in the beginning because you have a whole group of people. It's like, okay, so who's the female survivor? Right. And right. it's rarely, who's the virgin? It's because <laughs> that's it's rarely, again exactly yeah. again. Right. It's rarely a guy. It's usually a woman. And so with Pitch Black, because it did have those elements of horror films, they were trying to turn out its head there. They had her as the main character, and so killing her was something that people didn't expect. That's why. Deep Blue Sea is such a great movie because a black guy is alive at the end. Tell L. Cool J and Thomas Jane. They kill off the woman. They do kill her off. And it was another movie I didn't like. (laughs) Uh, But it's great because there's three people surviving in the movie. Maybe not. It's a white girl, a white man, and a black man. And you're like, the black man has survived this long. Clearly he's not going to make it. And then it's the black man and the white man. (laughs) Well, and when we watched Alien for the, the first time I watched Alien, it was what, 1979? It's amazing. Near the end of the movie, it is one black man and two white women are the, the survivors. I was like, this has never happened since. Ever. It never like, what is going on? I here? don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These people should have been killed off in Act One. Well, did you see <laughs> Leviathan, where it was the another underwater kind of monster no. crazy thing? The main guy is the actor who was Robocop. Oh. oh. And so you have <laughs> but, a group oh. of survivors. And there is one or two black actors, and they survive the horrors of the depths below. They get up to the surface. They're you know on the like little life raft, waiting to be rescued, and they die at two seconds before the movie de- movie ends. And it's like they teased you, making you think they're gonna they survive. Nope. They shot by a cop. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been very terrible. They're like, is that black man on the raft? Did you steal that raft? (laughs) (laughs) I need to swim away from the raft. I'm a survivor of a tragedy, actually. (laughs) This is Baltimore humor. Did not steal the raft. This is Baltimore. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
Um, I, so, I've got more stuff to talk about with colors. What's your favorite color in the film? It's got to be the orange gold of the sand. Yeah. In contrast. To the sky. The blue, blue of the sky, but also the blue and the silver of the cars. And I thought, I was like, oh, is this a metaphor? Blue and the silver of the cars. Yeah, a lot of the cars, kind of the contrast was bumped up, so they looked kind of darker blue and darker gray and oh. darker silver. But weren't they mostly rust, I thought? They had some rust, but there wasn't a lot of red on those cars. Because um, orange and blue are complementary colors. Right. So that's why they work off each other so well. Um, and I was wondering if it was a commentary of the destruction of the earth versus their salvation, which was the metal. One thing I noticed the, the latest time I was watching, uh, any time they showed the tires when they were stopped of the rig or other vehicles, they were very pristine. Oh, yeah? It was interesting noticing that the tires, like the treads, like they look like they were very new tires. And I'm not, not full be- of sand. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much wear and tear a tire has on those sand. I mean, I don't but know. But they're not producing new tires. So these are tires right. scavenged and salvaged from the old world. Right. So, so it was interesting. I, I mean, a continuity, I don't know what that is. But, yeah. But it was just funny to see that. I was like, wow, those tires are really nice looking. But everything else, not so much. Yeah, and if they're running out of gasoline, it was amazing how many cars they still had in their arsenal that were able to run. And Oh, actually, let's talk about your favorite scene, Sean. Okay, so if we're at the favorite scene stage, I think my favorite, yeah. This is where uh, Nux has now gotten back on the car with uh, Immortan Joe. He's, he's trying to figure out how to, to, to get back at Furious, to get on the rig, to get her to stop and Nux volunteers to go up there and uh, initially he says something about a piker in the spine and he's got like a corkscrew or something and he's like no use this and he gives him a gun and then he blesses him and he sprays his teeth and uh, so Nux gets on the truck and as soon as he gets on the truck and starts running the chain that he still has from when he had chained the blood bag to himself gets caught on the back of the truck he falls drops the gun right off the truck and of course Mortanjo just says and then just drives off. And it was just, I, I love the idea of this this whole buildup with the spraying the teeth and all that stuff, and then he just immediately fails. <laughs> just trips, basically. Just like, wow. You had one job, and you completely screwed it up right at the start. Just amazing. That guy's not going to Valhalla. Nope. <laughs> what was your favorite scene? I kind of like little quiet moments yeah. that happen few and far between. I think it's just after they fail to deliver, like, the gas pod and they're being chased by the motorcycle gang. Uh, Like, a bomb flies on the front of the car and sets Furiosa's rig on fire, and she drops, like, the grill. And Sam comes up, and she does, like, to to smother the fire that's on the car. And so in the midst of all this chaos and noise and everything that's going on, the camera zooms up to an air valve on the hood of the car, and it just goes, Pah. breathes out. And when I was watching it, I was holding my breath. Oh. And so I was kind of like, oh, I like well, exhaled. <laughs> and it was just a very quiet, subtle moment. But the fact that they took the time to do that, and I don't know why I think that was so awesome. I love that. I love the moments. Well, more I wonder if that was a trigger scenes. to breathe. Like if they felt that, you yeah. know, people were just. It might have okay, been. Yeah. Well, and again, a, a shout out to the editor, who's George Miller's wife. He actually asked her to look at the film and edit it for him because I don't think she wanted to at first because she was busy, but he was like, make sure I don't screw this up. And she did. And the, the way that she edited it, it's brilliant because there's so much action. There's so much like, I mean, just look at it. It's a pile of like all intense stuff and the way that she paces it 
pacing is one of the hardest things that you can do in anything, in a story, in music, in film. And so the way that she meters it out is just completely brilliant. And that might have been an actual, like, breath moment. Like, okay, we need to get people need, to, yeah, to like... take, a, <laughs> take a moment and realize what just happened. Well, she won an Oscar for it. And the Oscar goes to Margaret Sixel, Mad Max yeah, it's, it's hard naming my favorite scene because I have so many, but I don't want to say something we've already said. One scene I do really like, and one thing I really appreciate, is that in watching this movie, you want Furiosa to get a Morton Joe. That's like all you want in the end is some kind of closure. But I like that her her road to him is very hard, and it requires a lot of help from other people, but she still gets there in the end. So it's not easy. I hate in action movies. My pet peeve is when... All of a sudden, they've been beaten up a lot, but they get up and, like, nothing Second wind. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's second wind. Like, oh, I'm impervious to everything. But I like that hers was so hard, and she was, like, literally crawling along the car, and other people were having to help her, but they were all recognizing, like, yeah, we're supporting her and doing this. Well, she was so already like kind of dying on the way to it. I mean, she'd already yeah. been stabbed at that. I mean, t- okay. to an extent, she did have a second wind herself. And yeah. The fact that she was kind of... Dying. Well, she that was but, her mission, and I think... Yeah, that's drove that her. That was what she yeah. wanted, you know, since the green place was fucked. It was like, well, then I might as well do <laughs> the this. swamp place, yeah. yeah. Uh. Might as well do... And, which, if you consider it, was not just a benefit to herself, but for everybody. Yeah. She well, was Max still was, helping out yeah. everybody. Max was pretty sturdy. The fact that he survived flailing around when the car that he's in with Nux... I don't know how they got through there. He was on the roof. That was pretty fantastical watching that because I (laughs) saw and it looked like he sure got flipped under the car a couple times. And he doesn't have a broken arm or anything. He's fine. It's a flesh wound. Did you have a favorite quote? I had, I mean, I've already mentioned so many quotes, but one of the quotes that that made me want to see it was people who'd seen this movie before I did were already making artwork of We Are Not Things and already using the kind of iconography of Furiosa's outfit, and they used the bolt cutters and the chains and everything. Kate Leth is one of the artists, the comic artists, that uh, did a bunch of stuff with that. So that kind of brought me into it, but there's so many good quotes. But some of my favorites are, like, when I think it was Nux that said, This high ground, just beyond that thing. He means the tree. Yeah, tree. Just to show how ignorant they were, because yeah. they had nothing. Uneducated. Yeah. They didn't absolutely. have books on how to escape. Exactly. You know, no library for nothing. the uh, war boys. Yeah. Right. Or uh, Max being so annoyed at little things, even though he was, you know, treated as a hood ornament, and you would think that like he would be murdered after that, he would be completely dead. But uh, he'd say things like, "That's my jacket. That's, that's my car." That's my yeah, car. <laughs> he, he would get really angry when someone had his stuff. Yeah. Yeah. What angry. about you guys? Favorite quotes? Well, my favorite quote was from Dag when they're they're all in the truck and they're. Deciding kind of what to do with Max. Do you think he's coming to the green place? Never. He's a crazy smegalene schlanger. Oh, like what is that? <laughs> I know. And I don't know what. I have no idea what a schmeg <laughs> is. I don't know what schlanger is. But that well, that character Dad calls people schmeg a lot. She does. All right, Sean. Favorite quote? I think the thing that really moved me most, um, because the movie was so crazy and and really. It had a lot of moments that you could laugh at, whether it's actually because it was generally funny or just because it was so crazy, all you can do is laugh. Uh, I mean, like, Doof Warrior wasn't necessarily meant to be humorous. Right. But it sure comes off that way just because it's so crazy. But uh, when Max finally tells Charlize his name, I, I felt that, that that even seeing it now the fifth time again, that 
that choked me up a bit because it's just it's that's when she means something to him mm-hmm. more than just a path to survival or whatever it is that that, she, that she's his friend as much as he's going to have one at this point in his life. Uh, yeah. Even if she probably didn't even hear it because I think she was unconscious at that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Ruin the moment. <laughs> <laughs> for Lisa. Series of ruining the film for Lisa. Yeah, there are so many, oh, just so many good lines. Out here, everything hurts. Still a good line. And even when when Nux died, I like that they had um, such a buildup of other, the war boys were always yelling, like, witness him, witness him. And they're all like ramped up about it. But when you saw the quiet moment when Nux knows he's going to die, but still saw a future for himself, like for once in his life, he saw a future that he might want besides just being a sacrifice. And he was like, witness me. The witness me and then die is very much like the modern day YOLO, you know, <laughs> that, that, you know, shout something because I'm about to do something that will probably get me killed or injured grievously, but that's really watch smart. me, you know, yeah. that, that that's what that was. And when Nux used it, I, I don't, yeah, it, it wasn't that at all. And I, no. I think he almost said it because it was like, farewell. It was more of a remember me. Yeah. It wasn't. Which made it so much more It, it wasn't, touching. I'm going on to the next life. It's just, damn, I'm not going to be there with you. Here it goes. <laughs> It was just the result. He realized how it was going to go. Because yeah, he, he wanted did, to live. He wanted he to be with them. He knew he had to make that sacrifice. Yeah. But as he said, he had he was at the gates of Ahala three times. and He kept he trying. Was, yeah. He tried mediocrely. Poor mediocre nuts. All right. So we said, well, so we're due to words. Your due to word was for Nux. Yeah, Mine, yeah. Eh, it's probably for Max. How about you, Sean? You know, it really would be tied between Max and Nux. Um, yeah. I mean, not that there's many to The thing from, that detracts Nux is because, like you point out, he has failed so many times. <laughs> I mean, really, what kind of a dude is he if he keeps <laughs> screwing things up? At least Max, I mean, he's fairly constant in succeeding in his... I mean, he drew up the whole plan to go charge right back to the Citadel, and hey, it worked. Not he, perfectly, but it worked. did he embroider it? Yes. I know, and he's like, hi, as she comes up. Needle point, yeah. Like, oh, do he was embarrassed about that. Furiosa doesn't want to see me doing this little kerchief for you. There, <laughs> Hope you like what it. What if he unveiled it and it was just like, I love Furiosa. <laughs> a robot heart holding his heart. <laughs> oh. Here's my plan. They're like, what the hell is this? I thought, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, this wasn't for all of you. This is a private message I embroidered. <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the, the Tumblr posts. I forget what it was called. It was like the Mad Max equivalent. They had a bunch of Ryan Gosling pictures a years a couple years back that it was like, "Hey girl, you can wear yoga yeah. pants and I love you." It was like all supportive stuff with Ryan Gosling and they did a series of Mad Max ones and it was like, "Hey girl, you just use my shoulder anytime to shoot the guy that you want to shoot cuz you're a better <laughs> shot than me." And it was just like all supportive and yeah, it's such an extension of his character it was just kind of silently supportive. Crazy, but also like we already said, damaged in a way that Furiosa recognized. And she recognized the feralness in him enough to leave him alone to where he trusted her. So is there fan fiction out there with Mad Max and Furiosa? Oh, 100%. <laughs> oh, I, I did want to mention that when you talked about there expecting or there being an expectation of a romance. Um, maybe it is because I'm just weird, but I did not have that going in there at all. I honestly thought I seeing either. the trailer that Imperator Furiosa would be the bad guy. 
I didn't get an impression from the trailer, which was good. I, I think that the trailer should give you kind of an idea of sort of what the movie's about without really revealing the entire plot, unlike so many trailers out there today. Oh. I don't even really remember the trailers for Mad Max. I remember I was in Canada when I, um, the promotional banners were released, and they were everywhere in Toronto, and it was great because it was even. It was her on one side and him on the other, and it just said Mad Max, Charlize, and Tom, good old Tom. <laughs> That was the first clue where I was like, oh shit, she's in it that much that she's actually getting equal billing? The other thing that's cool is this movie didn't have music like by bands with lyrics in it. No. And I really appreciate when they don't cheapen a movie by like all of a sudden putting a Nine Inch Nails yeah. song or something, yeah. which I love Nine Inch Nails, but <laughs> I mean, occasionally. Oh, but that would be amazing they if they, they did that now. Their... They had like a super cut of the <laughs> well, movie. Well, there's like a difference a... between a super cut. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, in the movie itself. The actual film, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Well, and they did the thing that um, Tom Hardy was also in um, Inception, and Inception has a brilliant soundtrack where it's just like a like a really low, slow bass line. Have you guys you've seen I've Inception, seen right? I forgot that he was in it. Yeah, and yeah. Um, that's what this movie does in the beginning when they capture Max. It's like... It's just like such a low bass line of doom that in Inception you realize... That that's just like the way slowed down version of the music of I think it was a was it a music box what was it no his was it his stopwatch it was music that Leo had and then because there were so many levels deep it was slowed down to the huh. point where it was just a deep bass which was brilliant but it was it was so threatening music really enhances every scene whether it's the music being played by the Doof Warrior and the drummers or the music leading up to it it's just very intense. The uh, the guy song. Tom Hulkenberg or uh, Junk, H. Junkie Sorry. XL, I think is, is oh. <laughs> his his code name. Uh, his design was really really well done for the whole film. Um, there was one part, I think it was uh, just before she gets to the canyon. They had it almost sounded like a train. It was just this. That was kind of like his whole pattern. It was just like the truck is just going and going and going, and that was he really drove the movie. Yeah, uh, and they did work in uh, what uh, Iota, I think, is the name of the, the Iota, act, yes. yeah, who was the mm-hmm. Doof Warrior. They did work in some of what he actually played, but a lot of it was just what Junkie XL had put in through the film, and then they just kind of overlaid him to look like he was um, being played by them. I, I think, yeah, it's one of those things where you would notice if it was gone. You may not notice how much it enhances the movie, but you would notice if it wasn't there because oh, it's so seamless. But it. Empowers the movie, totally. but yeah, music. I mean, it's it's a huge impact, and it's and it's more than just copy and pasting pop songs. I mean, there are some films where that makes sense to do, but a post-apocalyptic, no. Yeah, <laughs> you need to have. There are own. no pop songs, right? Well, I mean, it'd be one thing if it was like Bubblegum Crisis or something, you know, an anime yeah. where they've got like a band from that now futuristic, so it's a whole new composed whatever. But. Yeah. Well, I do like to when uh, I think it was Maleficent when they redid the Sleeping Beauty theme, but slower and really scary. It was um, Once Upon a Dream. I, I like that. Anyway, so we yeah <laughs> going off topic. Right, we should probably wrap this up. Yeah. Uh, anybody who doesn't drink to this film, <laughs> no, we all drink to it. We drink two Mad Max. That's right. And Furiosa. And Furiosa. And Furiosa. And Furiosa. Thank you, Sean. You women. <laughs> Gotta keep you in line. Remember me. Jesus Christ. And the brides. And the grannies. <laughs> Shit. And what about our wine? It was very good. It was a... <laughs>
<laughs> a stable red blend. Much like Max. <laughs> stable red blend. Yeah, he was a universal donor. True. Oh. High octane. Organic. <laughs> What's up next? What's up next? Uh, because it's May, we think that uh, we should do Carrie for prom. The original Carrie, not any of those remakes. Oh, this I forgot is there the were original remakes. Carrie. Sissy Spacek, John Travolta. Mm-hmm. By Brian De Palma, and it was a listener suggestion. Yep. Suggestion. Yep. Good job. <laughs> you guys have those. That's good. Listener we, suggestions. We we berate our listeners oh. enough that they suggest. <laughs> Tell us what to do. God damn it! Just watch Mad Max. <laughs> <laughs> Stop asking us. If we need some tell direction. You to watch <laughs> something. Will you shut the fuck up? <laughs> <laughs> but until then, you can keep celebrating Mad Max Fury Road. One of the best action movies ever. Says. Some guy on Fox News, Fox News or something. Oh, really? Really? It's on the DVDs. It's the best action film <laughs> ever made. I'm like, oh, I agree. And then it's like, some guy from Fox News. You're like, fuck, I hate you. literally yeah. says, some guy doesn't have his yeah, name. Like, oh, God, says, yeah, that guy. Right on. Well, so, if uh, I had the line, I'd say the, the, the thing that they say about... <laughs> Shiny and chrome on the Fury Road, but that's... Oh, wait, 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 hang on, hang on. You've got it, right? You will ride eternal, shiny and chrome. So let's, uh, yeah, let's cheers to that. One, one, two, one, red, black, go. Go. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate us on iTunes or like us on SoundCloud. You can find us on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Pinterest, and Instagram. Just search for Her Head in a Box podcast. Our theme music was composed by Brooks Harlan and presented by Big Crunch Amp and Guitar Repair in Baltimore City. Until next time, cheers. Day.